0: This week on the show, we have a fanless server setup with FreeBSD, NetBSD on Pinebooks, another BSD can trip report for you, transparent network audio, Mirror BSD's Corn Shell on Plan 9, as well as a static site generator on OpenBSD, and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 253, Silence of the Fans, recorded on 4th of July, 2018. Hi, I'm your host, Benedikt Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. And as our title suggests, uh, our first headline this week is Silent Fanless FreeBSD Desktop Server.
1: Yeah, uh, so this is uh, over on Vermidon's blog, and he says, Today I will write about the silent fanless FreeBSD desktop or server computer, or NAS, or firewall, or whatever you want to make, uh, that you can have for whatever purposes you need. It also very low-power solution, which also means that it will not overheat. It It's so low-power it doesn't need a fan to dissipate the bit of heat that it generates. Uh, silent means no fans at all, not even in the power supply. The format of the system uh, should also be... Uh, brought to a minimum, so, you know, mini-ITX. And so he's got a little picture here, you can see. it has got a little passive heatsink, and it's, you know, a tiny board. It does have uh, a PCI Express slot, though, so, you know, we're Uh. not short on things. And two drive uh, SATA ports and some USB 3.0 and so on. So I go on. Uh, I have chosen an Intel-based solution as they're very low power, it uses six to ten watts. If you prefer AMD, as uh, he often does, the closest solution right now uh, is the A sixty-eight N twenty-one hundred, which is nine watts. Uh, of course, uh, AMD is coming out with some new low power APU stuff, uh, so that will probably change soon. Uh, for comparison, Intel has. Uh, a lot more solutions in this 6-watt range uh, currently. And you can, if you go to arc.intel.com, you can actually uh, browse through the processors and filter them by say, show me only solutions in the 6-watt bracket or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, also nice uh, advantage of the particular CPU that they chose uh, is that it supports the AES offload instructions, so your GAL encrypted disks will be faster and so on.
0: Yeah, that's good, because you don't want to just have a very power, not not a very power-hungry CPU, but also it should do work.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, it's uh, an Intel J3355, uh, and uh, it even has the VTX and EPT extensions, so you can run Beehive on it. Uh, so, looking at it, uh, in the example system you see here, uh, the CPU with soldered in or sorry, the motherboard with soldered-in CPU uh, is forty-nine dollars. Uh, four gigs of RAM are fourteen dollars. The power supply you can choose uh, either internal or external, uh, or maybe you need both. I'm not sure about that part. Um, and then uh, the USB drive to boot for boot it from, and uh, some wireless and so on. And you have a complete low-power system for about a hundred dollars. I'm assuming U.S. Mm. Yeah, that's a decent machine. All right, so here's the one that uh, gives you a motherboard header out of your... uh, So this is the internal half of the power supply, and then you just have uh, the part that goes to your external power brick like a laptop. Uh, So then they also looked at a case if you want it. but, you know, uh, some of these cases cost as much as that whole computer did. So depends what you want to do.
0: Yeah, the case shouldn't vibrate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that would kind of kill the whole idea of being uh, silent.
1: But if you go with this smaller case they have here uh, at $50, and it actually includes the power system, uh, so that brings the system to $122 if you go that way. Okay. Oh, nice pictures, yeah. if you want to go pro then there's a super micro based uh, solution similar to what you get in a free NAS mini oh yeah 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 that's similar but you know then you're getting uh, quite a bit more expensive but it covers the details of uh, the different ones they have here yep Oh, nice. Yeah, that's, and then they have uh, the D message of actually booting the system up.
0: Yeah, this is still uh, not hardware now. This is BSD now. So we have a bit of BSD content in that part. Um, so you can see yep. what kind of uh, models and modules are loaded
1: and devices found and things like that. In particular, they say they haven't tried the HDMI output yet, but the VGA out works with uh, X11 sound, the onboard NIC works, all the interfaces are good, and they got the Wi-Fi going. So... That's pretty good. Uh, and like I said, looking at the top, that system has two SATA ports, uh, so you can stick two drives of your choice of SSD or HD, and it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, normally you would go with SSDs for uh, silent, but in case you need a bit more uh, storage space, then you might as well get some HDDs. Depends on your use case. I mean, if it's sitting right next to you, then it should be totally silent. But if it's sitting in some cabinet somewhere or in your cellar or whatever, then you don't care too much about uh, the the, the CPUs uh, or the the spinning disks. Depends on the use case.
1: All right. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, and they also have an update here. Uh, if you're interested in a version with ECC RAM uh, and more SATA ports, if you were say, trying to build a NAS, um, this board they have here has four DIMM slots instead of one, and what's that? Uh, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve uh, SATA ports. Oh yeah, that.
0: that I, are you thinking ZFS?
1: Yeah. Well, it just. Yeah. Depends, but yeah. Uh, so that motherboard, though, is in the $290 range instead of the $50 range. Uh, and then the RAM maybe is a bit more expensive too, uh, but they built a mostly similar system for $365, uh, which yeah. is more than the 122 we were looking at for the, the base model. Mm-hmm.
0: So that looks like it only has VGA output. Does, is there no
1: HDMI? It's, or just um, not- It's Pretty typical for server stuff to only have VGA because that's what everybody's crash cart in the data center has.
0: Yeah, plug it in. But yeah, um, as a home system, that's not too bad to start with. And yeah, lots of pictures uh, in case you want to compare and uh, see what... uh, components look like, and uh, never, if you've never seen those, uh, there are a couple of links as well to uh, eBay and, and other stores where you could get that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess from the descriptions, it's easy to, to find. Okay, um, now that you've seen uh, enough uh, screenshots, we have even more for you in this next uh, item here, an annotated look at NetBSD's Pinebook Startup. That also has a couple of pictures in it. So that one goes, is over at the NetBSD project. And uh, that one starts with Pinebook is an affordable 64-bit ARM notebook. Today we're going to take a look at the kernel output at startup and talk about what hardware support is available on NetBSD because it runs NetBSD.
1: Yeah, this is uh, interesting to me because I bought one of these Pinebooks because they were like $99 and it's a whole laptop. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's a nice machine for, uh, uh, you know, a bit of kernel hacking
1: here and there. And no, or just a really light, easy one to carry around.
0: Mm-hmm. So you can see also... If you
1: were, say, going to the US and you don't want them to be able to go through your laptop and you wanted a, a cheap, I wouldn't say disposable, but... Uh, yeah.
0: It's, yeah, I'm just doing SSH on that one to jump to other systems. <laughs> exactly.
1: If, if that's all you're really going to do with the laptop, uh, all you need yeah. is basic things, then an ARM-based thing is low power, uh, very light, nice yep
0: yeah you can see uh, a small screenshot of how it looks like from the tweet here and the first uh, few messages from the boot ups and so that Pinebook comes with two gigabytes of ram as standard and a small amount of this is reserved for the kernel and frame buffer because that's resident in ram always uh, at least for now and um that's your, your typical specs that come up that NetBSD detects certain devices. Uh, NetBSD itself uses flattened device tree, the FDT, um, on that one to enumerate the devices on all the all-winner-based all uh, system on chips. And uh, on a running system, you can inspect the device tree using the OFCTL utility. Uh, I guess that's a, a NetBSD one. I haven't seen that on FreeBSD or in any other uh, BSD that uh, came... Uh, under my keyboard recently. Um, So that basically tells you a couple of things, how many device nodes. Oh, the audio cards detected. That's important always, having sound uh, support uh, on servers especially. Um, But nevertheless... case this is a laptop. Yeah. So you can always... (laughs) play your favorite uh, mp3s so here are the cpu detections um so that one has an all winner a64 processor based on the arm cortex a53 chip and it's designed to run at frequencies up to 1.2 gigahertz oh wow that's uh, that's already something Mm -hmm. dynamic voltage and frequency scaling is supported for the cpu uh here's more so that means Uh, you don't
1: have to run it at 1.2 gigahertz when you're not needing that amount of uh CPU power and that means that you get uh, longer battery life yeah
0: always good to have in case you're on the run or not uh, close to a power socket and uh, there's the interrupt controller uh, a standard arm GIC 400 design so that's not too uh, exciting Uh, fixed clock input signals standard arm v7 or arm v8 architected timer Always good to have proper precision timing and clock drivers for managing PLLs, module clock drivers, uh, clock gating, software resets, etc. Information about the clock tree is exported in the clock sysctl namespace in case you're really into timekeeping and want to check on that. Then we uh, go into the Interrupt Controller. Uh, so, there's a bunch of stuff that you would find in typical systems. So, it's not a super special device in that requires. If regard. you
1: scroll down a little bit, they have the uh, pulse width modulation driver to control the brightness of the screen. Um, the USB uh, PHYs, so that you have USB uh, ports. Uh, a reduced serial bus, which is an I2C like interface uh, used to command, uh, talk to the power management unit. And then. Oh, yeah a power management unit to talk to. <laughs> yeah, in case you want to control
0: that a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then, yes, there's the analog audio codec, the uh, power state coordination interface, so that you can uh, deal with that. The lid switch, so that you can detect when... It has basically a, a GPIO pin that tells you if the lid of the laptop is closed or not, and you can use that to control you know, auto-suspend when you close the lid and so on. Mm. Yeah, so that should
0: As we always say, all laptops suspend, but not every laptop resumes. Uh, but I guess this is uh, in the works, or it's already working, maybe, already. Because that one says um, the GPIO keys, yeah, at FTT, let's switch, so that one will be detected. Uh, and then you can control the backlights using sysctl. That's your uh, way of telling, you know, a little bit brighter, a little bit less brighter in case you want to save some battery. And yeah, there's SDMMC controllers and what. So that one really has a bunch of supported devices on it. And NetBSD should run fine on that.
1: Um do they actually so yeah, they have the USB OTG mode and they talk a bit about the SDIO Wi-Fi, but does the Wi-Fi
0: work? Hmm. Oh, and you didn't get that far to, to try it out on on a on on BSD? I've not
1: actually tried to boot NetBSD. I've I've not tried to boot my Pinebook in a year. Huh. Um, I learned my lesson about buying fancy or the army hardware and so on. Is it tends to collect dust, or but in spend the meantime a, there might be a more lot of drama a lot of time support. on the healing bench before it gets uh, any use. <laughs> yeah, well, there might well, be apparently more. Apparently, the support. webcam works
0: uh-huh. so magically with the new release. I might be lucky and have more devices available suddenly.
1: Um, Judging by the fact that in the message here, they're using a USB Wi-Fi, I'm guessing the SDIO Wi-Fi does not yet work under BSD.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's still being worked on, but that would enable a lot of devices to actually work through SDMI, uh, SDIO, uh, accessing those uh, Wi-Fi chips that are soldered on the board. It's like with the uh, Raspberry Pi 3 or similar uh, embedded boards, but we're getting there. It's It's coming. So yeah, definitely good to see that there's support, uh, and yeah, again, um, check out that little device. How 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 um, expensive was that? The pine. Uh,
1: I think it was ninety nine dollars or so. Oh. I don't remember. It was a while ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's definitely uh, something for people to to play with, and if it's not working out and you didn't burn too much money on that, then
1: yeah, try it out. So, the fourteen inch pine book and where do you, how do you uh, yes it is ninety nine dollars mm-hmm. uh, or there's uh an eleven inch one that's not available at the moment.
0: Okay, yeah, when the next uh, upgrade uh, for your laptop is, uh, you, know, you might think about, well, what I'm actually doing on that laptop is mostly SSH or just emails and web browsing, then this might
1: do the do the trick. Yeah, but if you're like uh, Axiom in the chat room and are asking about, uh, you know, when we mentioned traveling with a, a laptop that doesn't have very much on it and accessing your stuff online... Uh, Maybe what you need is a cloud provider where you can run free BSD. So head over to DigitalOcean. If you go to do.co slash BSD now, that's the URL, uh, and that will give you uh, a sign up form where you can sign up for an account at DigitalOcean, and you will get $100 of credit added to the account automatically.
0: Yeah, these are $100, not 100 cents. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money they will give you as a starting package to try all all their services. Be it um, a lot of droplets that you spin up with certain software or you experiment a little bit with um, different um, options they have for um, pre-built uh, operating systems or one-click apps as they call it. So you can say, give, give me a MongoDB cluster of eight machines and they will spin up the basic MongoDB instances and then you can do the configuration to let them talk among each other, and then you have a nice MongoDB cluster.
1: Yeah, uh, or like uh, Nicholas was saying in the chat room, you know, I'm having to build a large chunk of the X uh, package stack on FreeBSD a lot as part of my development. Well, what if you could rent a 20 CPU machine for 71 cents an hour? To do the really number crunching heavy work. a couple of hours of compiling, and then download the packages throw the VM away and you know you spent two and a half dollars but for that two and a half dollars you got to rent 96 gigs of ram for a couple hours and 20 cpus and get the compile done Uh, meanwhile your computer wasn't uh, lagged by all the work uh, and you know you finished in two and a half hours instead of you know 12 hours
0: Yeah, and once you think about that, then there's, oh, I could do that, and I oh, I could also do that, and then it starts getting interesting, because then you need to write tools to manage all these uh, droplets, and that's what also Mm -hmm. DigitalOcean provides for you. They have CLI utilities to automatically control uh, your droplets, whether to start them, restart them.
1: And so when you you use the API or the control panel to start a droplet, you can provide what's called the user data, which is basically... um, a configuration that's fed to the VM as it's booting up, uh, and in FreeBSD that uses BSD Cloud in it, uh, and it basically can run the commands to to do things like uh, for my droplets, it registers them in our Puppet master, or it can call Ansible or whatever, uh, and actually automatically build, uh, install the packages we need, uh, set it up. Say you know in in the case of package building, maybe you want to uh, install Poudriere and set it up and get a ports tree and uh, have it uh, either ready to compile as soon as it comes up uh, or have it actually automatically start compiling. You could be like, you know, I want you to do this, take this list of packages and start compiling them. And then when that's done, uh, you know, SFTP them over to here or SCP them over to here uh, and then kill yourself. You do that. <laughs> that, the last part so, be- is optional. <laughs> well, in particular, if it's a throwaway VM that you just want to use for building, you don't want it on for any longer yeah. than it needs to be, right? Because you're paying by the minute here. Sure. Uh, and mm-hmm. so having it automatically shut down as soon as it's finished building is useful. As long as you remember to maybe transfer the logs off and maybe if the build doesn't complete automatically, maybe you want to leave a little bit of time for you to log in and, and poke at it and maybe find the problem, make the one little fix uh, and and... Do an incremental build to finish rather than just throwing it away but yep and all that sharing you your, can do yeah and uh to make it faster you get to choose from whatever location you want uh, they have san francisco new york toronto london amsterdam frankfurt bangalore and singapore
0: exactly and if you have a distributed uh global team then you should also make use of the team feature because then multiple people can manage the virtual uh, machine, the droplet, and then you can say, "Well, that user should be able to manage the machine, but not see the the bills that we are racking up." Yep. So that's what also DigitalOcean provides. So it basically gives more people uh, management power.
1: Yep, it's very useful. So next up, we have another BSDcan trip report. Yes, we asked for them, you delivered
0: them, at least a couple of them, and I hope there will be more in the future. But Mm -hmm. this one is from Mark
1: Johnston. Yeah, uh, so uh, it's a bit long, so I'm going to do the whole thing. So I recommend you go read the whole thing if uh, the little snippets (laughs) of it I give you here uh, whet your appetite. So uh, he starts off that uh, BSD Can is the highlight of my summer. The ability to have face-to-face conversations with fellow developers and contributors is an invaluable and always helps refresh my enthusiasm for free BSD. You know, that's what uh, Benedict and I always say about conferences, right? Recharge yep. your BSD battery. Supercharge them. It's like yep. uh superconductor then. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, the, <laughs> the most difficult thing can be coming home from the conference and deciding which of the 20 things you got excited about you actually want to work on.
0: The, the list is long, uh, but yeah. Which one should I pick? Each one is, is good to start with and as yep. equally as interesting as the other ones.
1: So, uh, while in a perfect world, we would have the ability to communicate effectively over the internet, it's often noted that locking a group of developers together in a room can be a very efficient way to make progress on projects that otherwise get strung out over time. And uh, to me, this is one of the f- principal functions of the BSD conferences. Uh, in my case I was able to fix some kgdb bugs that have been hindering me for months uh, get some opinions on the design of a feature I've been working on for freebsd 12 hear about some ongoing uh, usage of code that I've worked on in the past and do some pair debugging on an issue that have been affecting other developers you know that's excellent uh, the other thing is that you know it's very easy to get completely stuck on something and having someone to just it's like Take a look at my laptop see what's yeah, she, that's up sit that. next to me for a minute yeah, yeah and then uh, and then you know I think it was John Baldwin in this case is like oh let me fix that for you hold my beer yeah so as is tradition on the Tuesday night Mark had dropped off his things at the university residence where he was staying and headed straight to the Royal Oak. this year it didn't seem quite so crowded yes it did. Uh, Maybe with BSD developers, uh, but I did meet several longtime colleagues and had a chance to catch up with them. In particular, I chatted with uh, Justin Hibbets and got to hear about uh, the bring up of FreeBSD on the Power9 architecture, a new CPU family released by IBM. Uh, Justin was able to acquire a workstation based on the CPU, which is always a great motivator to get FreeBSD in shape on that platform. Uh, Power 9 also has uh, some promise in the server market, so it's important for FreeBSD to be a viable OS choice there. Uh, Anyway, Wednesday morning saw the beginning of the two-day FreeBSD Developer Summit, which precedes uh, the conference proper. Gordon Tetlow led the summit and did an excellent job organizing things and keeping us on schedule. The first presentation was by Deb Goodkin on the FreeBSD Foundation, and they give an overview of uh, the Foundation's roles and activities and so on, Uh, and Mark wrote a bunch more about that, but we'll uh, gloss over that to save time. Uh, After Deb's presentation, uh, the present members of the FreeBSD core team discussed the work they had done over the past two years and the open tasks that they'll be handing over to the next core, Uh, and then Mario Strobel rounded off the day's presentations by discussing the state and responsibilities of FreeBSD's release engineering team. Uh, one other side discussion of interest to me was around the notion of tightening integration with our Bugzilla instance. At moment, we do not have any good means of marking a given bug as blocking the release uh, of the next version, making it easy for bugs to slip into releases and thus lowering the overall quality of the OS. Uh, with FreeBSD12 upon us, I plan to help with the triage and fixes of known regressions uh, before the release process begins in earnest. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah a lot of bugs are there in bugzilla but aren't necessarily triaged and separated uh to say hey this is definitely something we need to look at before 12.0 uh and it'd be good to do that but uh the database is very full of bugs and uh going through them is not fun and easy to get distracted and uh discouraged uh and so it's uh it's a challenge, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a perennial problem now. It, it, we need to do something or it just gets worse and worse.
0: Yeah, more people need to look at it and work on it continuously. Yep.
1: Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, for a while, I know Gavin welcome. was doing just like one a day. And if we had enough people doing that, it might actually get somewhere. Of course, yeah. then you have to coordinate who does which ones otherwise.
0: Yeah, uh, and as long as we close more bugs than new are opened, then... We're in a good uh, position, but yeah, yeah. I mean, reporting bugs is is interesting because um, you also get to interact with users of the system, not just um, people who just, you know, use it every day as developers, but, um, and people have different um, perspectives about how certain functionality works in a system. So it's Mm -hmm. interesting. Maybe it's just a misunderstanding or something or the documentation is wrong somewhere. So it's interesting things how uh, PR is laid out, but back to the report.
1: Uh, After a break, uh, the rest of the morning was devoted to plans uh, for features in upcoming uh, FreeBSD releases. This is one of my favorite discussion topics. Uh, It typically takes the form of the have, need, want session, where developers collectively list features that they've developed and want to contribute, the have, uh, features that they are missing, the need, and the nice to haves, the wants. Uh, this year, instead of the usual format, we uh, listed the features that we intend to actually ship in FreeBSD12, so this was basically strong needs only, and or things that are uh, quite ready to contribute. Uh, the compiled list ended up being quite ambitious, given how close we are to the beginning of the release cycle. Um, you know, we have a little over a month before uh, we start slushing the head, so we really need to get a work uh, move on on those things. Uh. Uh, the, uh, the compiled list ended up being, oh, we said that way. Uh, but uh, the compiled list ended up being quite ambitious given how close we are to the beginning the recycle, but many individual developers, including Mark himself, have signed up to deliver work. Uh, I'm hopeful that most, if not all of it, uh, will make it into the release. Then, after lunch, Mark attended a discussion led by Matt Aarons and Alexander Moten on OpenZFS of particular interest to me were some observations made regarding the relative qu- uh, quantity and quality of contributions made by the different camps in OpenZFS, whether that's Alumos, FreeBSD, or ZFS on Linux, and their respective track records of upstream enhancements to the OpenZFS project. In part, due to the high pace of changes in ZFS on Linux, the definition of upstream for ZFS has become murky of late, uh, and ZFS changes are being ported directly from ZFS on Linux into FreeBSD. Uh Alexander also discussed some known problems with ZFS on FreeBSD that have been discovered through his performance testing while I'm not familiar with ZFS's internals, Alexander noted that ZFS write path has poor SMP scalability on FreeBSD owing to some limitations of the kernel API task queue Uh, I would like to explore this problem further and perhaps integrate a relatively new alternative interface uh, which should perform much better so yes please (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I like to use
1: that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Friday and Saturday were, of course, taken up by BSD CANs itself and the talks. Uh, Friday's keynote was uh, by Benno Rice, who provided some history on the Unix boot system as a precursor to some discussions of Systemd and the difficulties presented by a user and developer community that actively resists change. The rest of the morning was consumed by talks that passed by quickly. Uh, first was Colin Percival's detailed explanation of where the FreeBSD kernel spends time during boot, together with an overview of some of the infrastructure he added to track those boot times. He also provided a list of improvements uh, that have been made since he started taking measurements and some areas that he uh, needs to further improve. Colin's existing work in this area has already brought about substantial uh, reductions in boot time. I think Mark actually helped with one of those. Um, Excellent. Anyway, assuming one of the remaining, uh, or sorry, amusingly, one of the remaining large delays comes from the keyboard driver, which contains a workaround for some very old PS2 keyboards. While there seems to be general agreement that the workaround is probably no longer needed on most systems, the lingering uncertainty around this prevents us from removing the workaround. Hmm. Um, Which I think also jives with what we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago with the, um, um. Clearing Deadwood? The lazy FPU versus oh, yeah. eager FPU. Uh, how there had been talk about switching to eager on FreeBSD in 2015. But there was this concern that, well, that might break something. We don't know for sure that it won't. Uh, so it's easier to not make the change than to make the change and possibly break a bunch of systems. Yeah. Uh, especially since, uh, now, the the keyboard timing thing is, is less of an issue, but something like the FPU, that can lead to really hard to diagnose bugs.
0: Yeah, so it's difficult to uh, find those and once you have introduced that change, then yeah, all hell could break loose.
1: This is sadly a fairly typical example of an OS maintenance burden and underscores the need for careful documentation around hardware bug workarounds. After this talk, I got some rather novel demonstrations of system tracing using uh, DWatch, a new utility written by Devanteski, which aims to provide a user friendly interface to DTrace, uh, another project that Mark has helped out with. Uh, yeah. After lunch, I attended talks on NetDump, uh, a protocol for transmitting uh, kernel crash dumps over a network after the system has panics, and on VPC, uh, an implementation of the virtual private cloud for FreeBSD. After the talks ended, I headed yet again to the Hacker Lounge and had some fruitful discussions on early microcode loading, which is one of the features of FreeBSD 12 that Mark is working on. Uh, this led me to reconsider some aspects of my approach and saved me a lot of time. Finally, I continued my debugging session from Wednesday, which helped me, uh, or helped with, with help from a couple of other developers. Excellent. And then on Saturday. Uh, included a very uh, thorough account of Li Wen-su's work on organizing the BSD Taiwan conference, which Mark also spoke at. Uh, as one of the attendees, I had felt that the conference had uh, gone very smoothly and was taken aback by the number of details and pitfalls that Li Wen enumerated during his talk. Uh, yeah, I couldn't get to that, all that the one, but I will... he went through, uh, but we had a great conference.
0: Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting to see what's going be- on behind the scenes, so... Yeah, I will watch that talk once it's when it's available uh, because I'm interested in the whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, this was followed by an excellent talk by Baptiste Rousseau on the difficulties one encounters when deploying FreeBSD in a new environment. Baptiste offered criticisms of a number of aspects of FreeBSD, some of which hit close to home uh, as they involved portions of the systems that Mark had worked on. Um, At the conclusion of the talk, we all gathered in the main lecture hall where Dan led the traditional and quite lively auction for charity. I managed to snag a Pine64 board and we'll be getting FreeBSD installed on it at the first chance I get. At the end of the auction, we all headed to the Byword Market for dinner, uh, concluding yet another successful BSD camp. Yeah, cool. Seems like he had a lot of fun. Yeah, so if you want more details on the KGDB stuff that Mark worked on or uh, his thoughts on some of the other talks and all on, uh, there's a lot more detail in his trip report. Uh, we just didn't want to sit here reading the whole thing to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. you have some things uh, that you can read on your but own. I think, it's I think we've weapon. given
1: you enough to be interested enough to go find the article.
0: <laughs> yeah, wet the appetite. <laughs> okay, yeah. So after this nice BSD Cantrip report, we have our news roundup this week. Transparent network audio with MPD and SNDIOD IOD uh, from OpenBSD. And that looks interesting for people who always wanted to have audio, not just from the local system, but from the network as well. Um, this one goes uh, Landry Priol, I guess the name is, uh, when wearing his developer hat wrote that he's been a huge fan of MPD over the years to centralize audio collection that he has. And he's been using it with the HTTP output to stream the music as a radio on a computer he's currently using. And you can see a couple of, um, you know, structs here and see to see what they what they look like and what kind of fields they have. So there's a uh, SNDIO type. It has that's a config file. Cur- yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. It looks like a, a struct to me. But yeah. Could also... Yeah, there are no um, <laughs> data types. So, yeah. D- those that's those the, types are not... Configs file. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... Yeah, from the syntax here. But, yeah. So, these are um, the settings, um, like using HTTP streaming via Aqual Orbis and things like that. Um, so, this setup worked for him for years and allows him to stream his home radio to dollar work uh, by tunneling the port 8000 8, 8, over SSH via local forward. But that still has some issues. So a distinct timing gap between the local output, like the speaker connected to the machine where MPD is running, and the HTTPD output caused by the time it takes to re-encode the stream, which is ugly when you walk through the house and have a 15-second delay. So you might hear things (laughs) twice Mm -hmm. or at least a bit later than expected. Sometimes MPlayer has a client um, doesn't detect the pauses in the stream and needs to be restarted. Another thing is that he needs to configure and start a client on each computer and uh, point it at the sound server URL so that they can receive the stream. And it's not that elegant to re-encode the stream. And it wastes CPU cycles, which could be used for other things. So current scheme is, basically, there's a little uh, diagram here in uh, shell, basically or in yeah just ASCII art. Uh, so
1: there's a bunch of streaming going on and um, networking in between. So that's... Yeah, um, the old way would be MPD writing via HDB output to the network, where MPlayer would then talk to the SND-IOD on the remote machine and make the sound come out. Whereas the proposal is to do MPD directly to the snd I/O output, which will then be used by the SND-IOD on the sound server. Mm-hmm. So fiddling a bit with the MPD outputs
0: and reading the snd I/O output driver, because... Read the driver in case you're stuck. Um, he remembered sndio has native network support, and the MPD SNDIO output allows you to specify a device. So in the end, it's super easy to first enable network support in SNDIO on the remote machine that he wants the audio to play by adding the dash L, the local IP, to SNDIO flags, and have two audio devices with an input coming from the webcam. So you just provide those flags to Mm -hmm. SNDIO and then open PF on port 11,025 from the sound server IP and configure the new output in MPD.
1: Uh, Make sure you do that otherwise you will get, you know, crying babies piped into your sound system by random people on the internet or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Been there, done that. I hear that. Um, so,
0: <laughs> yeah, it can happen. And um, last thing is to enable the new output in MPD. So that one gives you um, local speakers disabled. SNDIO also uh, oh, is enabled and HTTPD stream is disabled, which results in a big win. No gap anymore in the local speakers, no re-encoding, no need to configure a client to play the stream, and he can still probably reproduce the same scheme over SSH from dollar work using a remote forward. Yeah, that's the flexibility that SSH provides there. Mm-hmm. And his new setup is a little bit uh, different, uh, shorter and less network uh, in between. But definitely an improvement. Yep. Cool. Yeah, people So that reduct little config snippets, people should be able to uh, reproduce that and get the same benefits.
1: Right, Uh, so now we have a a version of MirBSD's corn shell running on Jahane, which is a fork of plan 9. So the author starts off saying, let's start by saying I'm not a C programmer. My last public contribution to a POSIX C program was a small... uh, Improvement to the Snort React module back in 2008, so 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So while I know the C language well enough, I do not know anything about the subtleness of the standard library, and I have very little experience with POSIX semantics. Uh, This is not a big issue with Plan 9, since the C library and compiler are not standard anyway. But with Jahane, the Plan 9 derivative uh, by the author here, I want to build a simple, loosely coupled system that can actually run useful free software ported from Unix. Uh, So to that end, uh, they ported Red Hat's new lib package to Jahane uh, on top of a new system library that they wrote called libposix that provides the necessary emulations uh, to make regular applications run. I wrote several tests uh, checking they ran the same on Linux as they did on the plan nine, And then I began uh, looking for a real-world battle-tested application to port. Uh, So they chose to do MirBSD's version of the corn shell. Because it's simple, powerful, and well-written, it is being ported to several other operating systems. So, uh, you know, it's somewhat portable, obviously. Uh, uh, It has very few dependencies, uh, and it's the default shell on Android, uh, so it's very battle-tested there as well. So they said I was very confident. I had read the POSIX standard after all, and I all and I had a test suite. And remember, uh, I thought you know, given newlib, how hard could this possibly be? So the port began in September of 2017 and was completed uh, by the user TG on January 5th uh, with 125 days of uh, time in between there. It turns out my POSIX emulation was badly broken not just because of the usual bugs that any piece of C can have, uh, but by the fact that I didn't understand most of this uh, POSIX semantics as much as as I thought I did. Hmm. Uh, So there's uh, a number of details about what went wrong and uh, kind of the the story of how they went through all the bits and found the various problems. So uh, if you are interested, you should uh, check out the article. Uh, But in the end, they say that uh, after studying the complex semantics of TTY job control uh, and asking repetitive questions of people, I had to fix the set SID, set uh, get SID, set PGID, get PGID, and get PGRP, uh, and add support for the terminal IO uh, and a bunch of stuff, and uh, mostly had to rewrite the file server. Uh, that I'm written. But in the end, uh, I realized that the POSIX.ly interface actually represented a single terminal session. Anyway, uh, in the end, they started to actually get a version of Mir running on Plan 9. Okay, cool. Yeah, we should
0: try to cover BSD a little bit more if we have more news about that. And if you know someone who has uh, MIR BSD in use or... Um know some developers, then yeah, definitely connect them to us and we'll have more metered M- BSD content in the future. There are all these BSDs around and you don't know um, what else is out there, but you want to have good hardware support. And can, who can deliver good hardware support? Uh, IX systems, of course, because they can build you a system to your requirements.
1: Yep, head over to ixsystemscom now and check out their new uh, ebook. Open source storage is disrupting the enterprise market. You'll learn how uh, proprietary and cloud storage fall short of doing it yourself with open source. Uh, why open source is better uh, development model for storage systems. Uh, mostly meaning you know you don't get locked in because you have access to uh, continue the product yourself or just you know the fact that there's a whole community of Uh, people out there that are using this means even if the company behind it goes away there's enough momentum and community to keep it going Uh, but it also talks about the advantages of nvme and nvdim now that we have uh, these newer generations of hardware that can do uh, speeds that we couldn't even imagine uh, a number of years ago Um, but also why businesses need a unified data platform and why it should be FreeBSD and ZFS that provide it for you.
0: Yeah. Or, I mean, if you mean to need a smaller server for the office backups or for your little team that's just starting out but want to be able to grow, let's start with a FreeNAS Mini and maybe... Uh, In a a couple of years, you go over to the TrueNAS all-flash-powered arrays because your needs grow faster than you can uh, provide them, and iX systems can definitely provide you with those systems uh, because they're not just built for this one purpose. They're mostly um, built for um, extensibility because you can add more drives or um, more memory, so that way you're uh, future-proof in case your um, requirements increase. And the nice thing is also that you can not only get uh, a full, like the full uh, stack of, of servers, like a full rack full of them, but also a certain JBOT enclosures with uh, just a bunch of disks in them in case you want to build a really big ZFS array. Uh, and then just give them a call and just get one of those because Um, they've built hundreds of these systems and custom built them to users' needs or customers' needs and they know certain components work well with uh, the operating systems that people want to use, for example, the BSDs in that and they can tell you which components work best together and build you such a system as well.
1: Mm -hmm. So head over to ixsystems.com slash BSD now and check it out. And if you talk to anybody there, make sure you tell them you heard about it here on BSD Now.
0: There's this web show that I'm listening to, yeah. (laughs) Okay, Um, we have another interesting thing from the OpenBSD camp called a static site generator with rsync and lowdown on OpenBSD. So that's not directly from the OpenBSD project, but uh, that's using OpenBSD. So, that's uh, Roman Zolotarev, I guess that's probably the proper pronunciation. Sorry, if I don't get that right. Um, So, this one um, covers how to, I mean, with all the the current stuff going on in the web, that's a lot of uh, fancy gimmicks and dynamic uh, changes and websites being generated dynamically. There are also a bunch of use cases for static sites. And this one is a static site generator with rsync and lowdown. So SSG, uh, aptly names Static Site Generator, is a tiny POSIX-compliant shell script with a few dependencies. It needs lowdown to parse the markdown, rsync to copy temporary files, and entr to watch file changes. I guess that means entry. That's over yeah, at so the Basically,
1: ENTR. when the, a file changes, it can automatically rebuild that way. So as you save or modify the files, it automatically rebuilds it instead of you having to trigger it. Sure. Okay. Um,
0: It generates markdown articles to a static website by first copying the current directory to a temporary one in slash TMP, skipping, uh, you know, dot star, the the hidden ones, and the ones that start with underscore. Uh, Then renders all the markdown articles to HTML, generates as a third step RSS feeds from that based on links from your index HTML, then extracts the first header header tag, the head, head one, Uh, that we all used back in the day (laughs) to make the text really big, uh, from every article to generate a sitemap of that and use it as a page title, uh, and then wraps articles with a a single HTML template, and then copy everything from the temporary directory to $docs, I guess by using rsync. So now the question is, why not use Jekyll or $x? whatever it is. So SSG is 100 times smaller than Jekyll. SSG and its dependencies are about 800 kilobytes. That's kilobytes, not megabytes, kilobytes combined. So compare that to 78 megabytes of Ruby with Jenkill and all the gems. So SSG can be installed in just a few seconds on almost any Unix-like operating system. And obviously, SSG is tailored for his needs. It has all features that he needs and only those that he uses. So there's no extra stuff on it that you never activate. Keeping SSG helps you to master your Unix shell skills. There's awk, grab, zsh, cut, and tr involved. And as a web developer, you just work with lots of text, code, and data. So you better master these wonderful tools. And there's a
1: section about performance. I I recently switched the papers.freebsd.org site over from Jekyll to Hugo uh, because uh, it wasn't so much the amount of dependencies of Jekyll that was bothering me, it was that every time one of those dependencies upgraded, Jekyll wasn't able to handle it very well. Uh, It was just broken constantly, and uh, I was much happier with Hugo. Uh, Yeah,
0: for sites like ours that... just display a bunch of links basically. Well,
1: um, I I haven't got around. uh, To Some people have reached out about uh, providing help and I just haven't managed to find time to get back to them and get it started to actually get the process of uh, getting the BSD Now site switched over um, to Hugo so that it will be faster.
0: Mm. Yeah, so Definitely there's a use case for static site or what I've been recently thinking about, you know, that you can, this is a little bit off track here, uh, that you can um, mount a snapshot of ZFS and that's basically not writable. So you can basically set that as your uh, HDDocs directory and then no one else can manipulate that from the, from right. the web well, in case you, they break in. You could
1: do a regular file system and just set read-only equals on. That, that's, that's, yeah, uh, of course. Then the way, that way it's easier to turn that off make some changes and then turn it on again.
0: Yeah. I mean I was I was like mm. let's version this this web project and then for each new version create a new snapshot so I can fall mm. back to that one in case it doesn't work and it's read only so no one can mani- <laughs> manipulate that. So, but yeah, that's a different use case. So this one do is do something similar size.
1: for upgrades where you uh clone the running system uh or snapshot it and then clone that snapshot and then do the upgrade on the on the clone and then if it works, you can keep it, and if it doesn't, you go back and make a new snapshot and try again. Mm. And yeah, so that's
0: that's how you do it in a, in a safe way.
1: Yeah, and in ZFS, what you'd really want to do is separate the code from the data in different data sets, so that you, your data can go forward and just your code can you can switch back and forth and so on, if they're compatible. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so uh, the blog post goes uh, a little bit further on um, how to deploy that with Git uh, or um, like how you would preview your web project. So there's definitely a use for that. Is that tool generally available? I guess
1: it's uh, clonable from GitHub. um, It's apparently... Right, okay, so it's not in the um, OpenBSD package tree yet. So I doubt it's anywhere else yet either. Okay, uh, but it's a single shelf script file, so it's not overly complicated.
0: Yeah, and since a lot of ports people listen to our show, I guess it's just a matter of time to, when yeah. they pick it up yeah. and port it. But
1: I'm, uh, I'm very happy with Hugo, so that's mm-hmm. another option as well. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, so check it out, and if you like it for your static sites, then uh,
1: go with it. Mm-hmm. So. I, I would next say his item. sites look very nice that are generated with it.
0: So. It's not just, well, well boring HTML. It's, it has some, has some fancy on it. I mean, if you want a clean site without too much bells and whistles, then yeah, use that. So uh, our next item is a sometimes controversial question, uh, which we found on Quora. Uh, why does FreeBSD have virtually no like, 0% desktop market share?
1: Uh, and this answer comes from uh, Terry Lambert, who worked on the 386 BSD patch kit and the SVR3 uh, kernel and BSD and Mac and VMS and so on. Uh, and is about 12 weeks old. And he says, uh, because someone made a horrible decision back in 1984. For reference, that's the year I was born. It's <laughs> a long time ago.
0: Yeah, I was too small to... Uh make any work. (laughs) I was busy trying to learn to walk.
1: Um. Yeah, so in absolute (laughs) fairness to those involved, it was an understandable decision, both from a research perspective and from an economic perspective, although likely not uh, from a technology perspective. So the why and the what? Uh, The decision was taken because the X Windows system was intended to run on cheap hardware, and at the time, that meant reduced functionality in the endpoint device with the physical display attached to it. So X was designed in the time where we thought we were going to have these dumb terminals uh, right? We've, uh, or thin clients as they're called uh, more often nowadays. So you have a very lightweight computer on your desk that would then connect via the network to a mainframe-like computer that would do all the work. Uh, so X was designed to run a, on a very small computer on, at your desk and just display programs that are actually running on the the mainframe in the basement of the office tower or whatever. Uh, at the same time, another force was acting uh, to also limit the X displays to display services only rather than rolling in, say window management and specific widget instances for common operational paradigms. Mostly because common operational paradigms didn't really exist for window assistant windowing systems in 1984. You know, we, It was all very new in that like this was literally a research project because nothing like this existed, so they didn't know what those were going to be. Uh, No one really knew how people were going to use these things, and so researchers didn't want to commit future research to a set of hard constraints. So the decision was made, separate the display services from the application at the lowest level of graphic primitives currently in use at the time. Of course, the ramifications of this were pretty staggering. Uh, first, it guaranteed that all higher-level graphics would live on the host side of the X protocol uh, instead of the display uh, devices. Uh, despite a good understanding of Moore's law and the fact that since no X terminals actually existed when they were doing the original build, uh, they were mostly just running as emulation on uh, workstations that did have enough capacity, um, this put the higher-level graphical user interface object libraries referred to as widgets in host libraries linked into the applications. Second, uh, it guaranteed that display uh, organization and management paradigms would also live on the host side of the protocol, assumed in contradiction to the previous decision to be running on the workstation. You know, And this is how we ended up with things like GTK and QT uh, being built into the application instead of you know, you deciding on, on what you're running on your computer. Of course, you know, all this was designed with the concept that the application runs on the server over there and your computer just shows you the application. Whereas what we actually do on desktops, uh, you know, if you run BSD or Linux on your laptop is you're running X locally and the host side and the client side are on the same machine.
0: Yeah, you can be totally cool. Like, oh, let me just fetch that Firefox window from that other machine. I can show it to you. This is not what you can typically do on Windows, and it's yeah, yeah. giving you a lot of more information, and it's securely tunneled via SSH. So, yeah,
1: uh, between, between I these so. early, well, SSH didn't exist yet, but
0: right, but yeah, it yeah, In- initially it's not uh, encrypted. Um, that forwarding. But the possibilities, at least, that they built that in right from the start, basically, is... uh, that's remarkable. So, uh,
1: between these early decisions reigned chaos. Specifically, the consequences of these decisions have been with us ever since. The look and feel of of the X-Window system are a consequence of the toolkit chosen by the application programmer rather than the user decision which applies universally to all their applications. For example, when, uh, well, a little less so now, but in general, when you ran an application on windows or Mac, they look like a windows or Mac app. Whereas when you run them on, uh, uh, open source type software on, on X windows, uh, it either looks like a GTK app or a QT app, uh, or whatever other toolkit they used. Um, you call this a, uh, lack of a theme and, uh, Although I personally despise the idea of customizing or theming desktops, this meant that one paradigm chosen by the user would not apply universally across all applications, no matter who had written them. Uh, Window management style is a preference. Uh, We could call this a more radical version of theming, uh, which you would remember. But the consequence of this is that training is not uh, universal across personnel such as systems. And it's not really transferable, right? Because the buttons are in different places and so on. In other words, I can't send someone to a class, have them come back and use the computer at the office as a tool with the computer itself uh, and the elements not specific to the application itself uh, disappearing into the background, Uh, but of those ultimately rendered an X window system unsuitable as a desktop. Uh, I can't pay once for training. Training that I do pay for does not easily uh, naturally translate between applications each new version may radically alter the desktop management paradigm into unrecognizability." And this is definitely a problem that we've seen uh, on top of the fact that we have so much choice in window managers and so on, but the fact that a lot of it just, you know, being good with one doesn't really apply to the other and so on.
0: Yeah, you have to relearn basically a new uh, environment. It's There are yeah. typical elements that are similar or the same, but something is yeah, can, doesn't carry over all the, all, all the time.
1: Yeah. Uh, so they say you know things are worse from the application vendor perspective. Uh, what toolkit do I pick to use in my application uh, so that I can be assured that I will continue to sell the same software with minor updates and fixes for the next five to eight years without spending money redeveloping it for a newer version of that toolkit or a different toolkit because the one I was using went away. Uh, You know, what do I put in my training material to show application how it's supposed to look when things might look completely different on every other person's computer? Hmm. So, uh, the consequences are no sane uh, vendor develops software specifically for these platforms. Um, Yes, that was plural. FreeBSD isn't the only one of the problems. Linux has this problem too. You will occasionally get a, a vertical market vendor that doesn't care, but You know, For example, the OS on the Sony PlayStation 4 is based on FreeBSD, but mostly developers want, you know, uh, develop once, sell many, many times. And we just don't have that. So the question is, is there hope for the future? Uh, Well, we've got this Wayland thing, and maybe that's promising, but in the same way X was very promising in 1984, because unfortunately, (laughs) they're making exactly the same mistakes X made in 1984. Rather than correcting them, now we have Now that we have this 2020 hindsight and know what mature uh, widget library should look like, so Wayland is screwing up yet again. (laughs) But hey, it took us uh, what 25 years to get from X in 1987 to Wayland in 2012. Maybe we can try again in uh, 2037, since we'll also be at the uh, the end of 32-bit time T around then too, right? Yeah, we might as well fix that too. But yeah, that. maybe yeah. by maybe by then we can get to where Windows was in
0: 1995. Yeah. Oh, that was that, that was revolutionary back then, and now when mm-hmm. you look at it, it's like,
1: eh. although for Windows it was mostly the fact that it was multitasking. Ooh, like yes. In Windows 3.1, only the window in focus was actually running; everything else was paused, uh, <laughs> pretty much. Whereas in Windows 95, you could have two things going on at once. Yeah. I mean, the BSDs or
0: Unix in general didn't start off with the graphical unison interface. They always had the terminal as the main interaction, and that's probably where the focus was and will be. And X or whatever windowing system will uh, be just a thing on top of that, and not just the main interaction with the operating system.
1: But you know, um, even if we magically had uh, the perfect solution for it right now, then we'd have to get applications to actually use it. And, you know, somebody else is going to have their version and we're just going to get more fragmented and I don't know how we solve this problem.
0: Yeah, bringing all that under one uh, roof is difficult.
1: And, you know, nowadays, now that, you know, uh, a lot less commercial software exists, more software is open source or as a service, Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll see less push for anybody to say, Build a toolkit or a, a Windows system for this for money because there's no money to be made here. Yeah, that there so are other I don't know how uh, to solve the problem.
0: Certain ships have sailed, but others <laughs> are uh, still in port. <laughs> so, time for the beastie bits this week. Do you do laundry? Then we have a news item for you uh, because apparently there's a new washing machine
1: which comes yes. with seven pages of open source licenses. Uh, yes, uh, a user on Twitter uh, found uh, posted a photo from the manual for their new washing machine uh, and it includes a bunch of software licenses. Uh, so please find hereafter the open source software licenses applicable to the open source software contained in your VZUG uh, home appliance, specifically named in the respective owner's manual. So, there's the Apache software license and the uh, Apache 2.0 license, the BSD license, the FreeBSD license, and NewLib, and it goes on. Uh, apparently, they have one copy of the FreeBSD license, and it doesn't have the list of individual names or something. I'm a little unclear on exactly uh, what was there, but there's a picture of, your, of the washing machine with its display and so on, and apparently... Is running some FreeBSD code in there?
0: Oh, excellent! Yeah, see, you never know where your code uh, ends up, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, do you—I don't know whether your laundry will be more clean coming out of that washing machine, but you can rest assured that there's no proprietary part in <laughs> some of the software running the thing.
1: <laughs> yep, and uh, there's also uh, some other people in the thread have posted uh, licenses they found on other products of theirs. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. The license allows yeah. that. So mm-hmm. chalk one up for too.
0: BSD. Yep. In your uh, everyday yep. devices, FreeBSD
1: is everywhere, even in your washing machine. <laughs>
0: yep. Uh, yeah. Let, let's let's reboot the washing machine one more time. <laughs> But yeah, all joking aside, um, the next item is BSD job site. Uh, BSDjobs.com, did we cover that before? Um, I think Um, we did, but now there are more job uh, postings.
1: Yeah, but there's uh, quite a few different BSD job postings here. Uh, So on this site they actually require that the job posting specifically mentions FreeBSD in order to be listed on the site. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Modirium, uh, which I've definitely heard of before, I think they were at a
0: they were at Paris and distributed yes, those the, nice uh, power yeah. banks, which I'm ah, yes. uh, happy
1: for. Uh, so they're looking for a system administrator, uh, and we're command line warriors in a FreeBSD-centric environment with a high focus on security. They're a payment processor. Um, NetApp is looking for a cloud and application security architect iX Systems is looking for um, customer service engineers and also has some open source internship opportunities. Uh, and for iX, you can work either at their San Jose office or their East Coast uh, Tennessee office. McAfee is looking for a software engineer or cloud serv- for their cloud services platform in Germany. Uh, Sandvine is looking for a technical support engineer and that position is remote. Uh, so that's great for more access to people. Uh, IBM is looking for system administrators in Ireland. Uh, Panasas is looking for systems engineers either in the northeast or uh, mid-Atlantic US. Uh, and Symantec is looking for a lead software engineer in Waterloo, Ontario, near where Ed lives. Oh, yeah. See? Uh-huh. That's, and uh... there's also a list of some of the positions that have already been filled.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Excellent. So there is work out there, people. If you're looking for something in the BSD area, there are uh, companies looking for people like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, check that site often um, and who knows, maybe you find your job uh, on that one, bsdjobs.com. Mm-hmm. So, um, we have next up, updates from the FreeBSD yeah, Foundation.
1: Free Foundation's May update. I think uh, next week we'll have the June update. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we're a bit, a bit behind, but we'll get you all the news out there.
1: But so, <laughs> uh, talks a little bit about some of the stuff that happens, including now uh, the new continuous integration team at the foundation uh, in that staff position, the hardware test lab they've been building, uh, some improvement to the developer tools and all that. Um, their fundraising update as they try to support the critical functions of the project uh, like making sure the freebsd 11.2 release came out on time like it did uh and hoping to raise more money to keep that type of thing going uh some changes to the foundation team including uh adding li wen uh to the team and uh changes at the office and some other changes mm-hmm.
0: Yeah there's uh always something going on in the foundation uh Yep. Uh, there's, Sometimes it takes uh, some time, but yeah, it's it's happening. The
1: blog post uh, from uh, Mitchell Horn, which we uh, talked about on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, a release engineering update from Glenn about eleven point two, and as part of the FreeBSD twenty fifth anniversary celebration, trying to build the timeline of FreeBSD. Did that ever get posted? I don't remember seeing that. Uh, uh, there's also some. Yeah, uh, I need to.
0: Hmm, yeah. Find it again or uh, yeah. see where
1: it went. And then there's uh, a recap from RootConf in India where there was a FreeBSD booth. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, all kinds of activities. So, um, And that's why we're doing these newsletters so that uh, people know, hey, what are the foundation folks up to the whole year? And uh, then people also see the progress and uh, the, uh, the outreach that we're making in all kinds of areas. Yep. Uh, The next item is kind of tied to that. So, um, you know, the FreeBSD Journal is produced um, by a professional uh, journaling um, team. And a couple of those people are uh, also in the FreeBSD Foundation. So we try to come up uh, with a bi-monthly journal with interesting articles about uh, FreeBSD topics. And we also have in each issue, or at least try to have, uh, book reviewers. And um, if you want to volunteer as a book reviewer so you get the book you read it and you write a a report about it Uh, it's not your uh, of course these have to be tech books not your um, uh, science fiction book of choice Um, uh, then get back to us if you're interested uh, in reviewing because we got a bunch of people but uh, sometimes they don't follow up so we're kind of running out of book reviewers Um, we have a couple of titles in mind so if you're interested in reading and writing something uh, about it uh, how you like the book what um, the content was like and things like that then get back to us the um, url is listed uh, walter at uh, FreeBSD journal let me see whether i uh, not miss uh, pronounce that or not, not get the wrong yeah it's walter at freebsdjournal.com and he will uh, make the connections to get you the book and um, get your report or your little review from that. Yeah. So that's our little uh, call for help here. I can, by uh, the way, because now we're back with, eh, come on, ah, put it here. Um, <laughs> next item uh, we have, oh, that's something for Alan, uh, Zn. env they spelled
1: Z-N- it Z-E-D, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So they say they just finished the alpha release of ZENV, the ZFS boot environment manager for FreeBSD and Linux, apparently. I created the project because I enjoyed having the use of uh, the boot environment manager while using my FreeBSD server and missed having access to one when I used Linux. So ZENV works similar to the FreeBSD BADM tool, uh, which is in turn based on the Solaris BADM tool. ZENV is written uh, completely in Python 3 and is open source and licensed under the BSD3 clause license and is available on GitHub. So it talks a bit about uh, what boot environments are, and then it shows how you create one, um, how you list them, how you activate one, uh, and switching between them, and so on. Yep. Uh, They also have a post about uh, using ZFS on Arch Linux and actually getting into being able to have boot environments on Linux.
0: Oh, that's a a new thing. So you can select them from the bootloader like we do? I don't know Hmm. anything about It's uh, Linux. It's it's the bootloader, yeah. It's always the bootloader. but yeah, it's uh it's coming and if you're interested in using that tool and uh yeah, give it a call and give it a try from uh
1: Which is a reminder, I'm cool. still working on finishing the C version uh of a Boot Environment Manager, literally Google The called Summer of Code DE, thing, uh, which was a Google Summer of Code last summer and is almost finished and I just uh keep not having time to work on it.
0: <laughs> yeah it well, the finishing touches um sometimes take more time than the actual work, but um yeah well I'm not even
1: it doesn't I just need to like it currently doesn't have the f- finished code for doing a list of boot environments, so it's uh you can do most of the management stuff, but listing is actually more complicated and it's still some more work to do there yeah well we'll see it uh, one day yeah. anyway, uh this week's Feedback segment is brought to you by Tarsnap. Head over to tarsnap.com bsd now and start doing your backups already.
0: Yep, because it's the online backup for truly paranoid people. And in case you're wondering, well, I'm not sure when I send my backups out into the cloud, who will grab it from there? But if it's encrypted, that's no worry anymore.
1: And well, that's what if it's actually does. encrypted, see, a lot of providers will claim that they encrypt your backups, but they encrypt everybody's backups with the one key that they have, which doesn't Damn. stop them from looking at it. And it doesn't stop them from being uh, subpoenaed to provide the data or something. But with Tarsnap, the data is encrypted on your computer with your key that Tarsnap doesn't have. And so anything sent up to the cloud is just gibberish unless you have that key to decrypt it again. And since you're the only person with that key, no one else can decrypt it. Uh, yep. Small downside means if you lose that key, nobody can decrypt it. But that's on purpose. That's how you delete stuff from the cloud. You just destroy the key. And then no one can make any sense of that after the fact. Yeah, yeah but, but TarSnap don't, also don't be does. like a friend of ours. Don't be like <laughs> a friend of ours and lose your key and then have to spend a lot of money trying to recover the hard drive that had the key on it so that you could get your backups that's a bummer yeah but Tarzan well, also his, does he got his stuff back eventually uh, but <laughs> it required a lot more work than it should have because he should have had a copy of the key so safely not just a copy on his hard drive hmm. so he, he took all does. the effort of backing up all of his files and didn't back up his key making <laughs> all the backups not very helpful <laughs> yeah
0: In general, uh, Tarsnap will also provide you with um, a possibility to deduplicate and compress your blocks. So you have to actually back up even less actual compressed and encrypted data. Um, And you can also they have a little FAQ where you can make a guess or generate um, a little report where you can see how much money you would actually pay for your current amount of um, backups that you want to do. So you can simulate how much it would cost. And that doesn't cost you anything, the simulation, and then you can make a better um, guess what kind of costs. will. But uh, in general, TarSnap is pretty cheap because it's just Mm -hmm. 25 cents per gigabyte. And if that's not an uh, interesting prospect, then you can look at what what the tool does internally. And because the source codes are available, there are a bunch of clients available out there. And making backup is always a good idea. So, check out Tarsnap and uh, give it a try.
1: So, on to the feedback.
0: Yep. Uh, the first one is from Vota, uh, uh, getting giving us general feedback, I guess. Uh, that goes, hi, I'm a longtime viewer of your show, ever since it pretty much released. Great show, by the way. Thank you. Uh, anyway, today, uh, he under- or, yeah, I understood as it is. Uh, there are some little, there's a little company looking for a sysadmin. I'm not like an official sysadmin at the moment. uh, I'm a service engineer. However, I've been doing my own system administration on FreeBSD for years, ever since FreeBSD 4.9. Oh, wow, that was even before my time. Uh, Or
1: Um, 4.11. I started at 4.2-ish or 4.1, something like that.
0: Okay. Okay so more exposure here Um, not quite sure which one was my first FreeBSD prior to that I've used Debian and Red Hat Uh, not quite sure which version of those uh, I had but I do remember that the Linux kernel was 2.2 so he's been or that um, uh, feedback one uh, oh yeah here we go so i've been using linux bsd for a long time now okay so that's the gist pretty much got into bsd and linux the same way alan did i just wanted to run on irc daemon and there were no good windows options available so there was one though uh w D or something but it was really unstable so it oh, wasn't I, that bad
1: i ran that for uh, a
0: while <laughs> <laughs> we're lacking other options um so at the moment, uh, I do pretty much everything myself from DNS, HTTP, NFS to mail. Never used XM, though. I'm not saying this qualifies me as a system administrator. However, I guess I've got a little more experience than those that have no knowledge at all. And if they want, I'm more than happy to help out. So did that actually, uh, is that company uh, employing someone now? or I think so.
1: Make- I think they've got oh. their needs taken care of.
0: But if you are looking for someone uh, besides bsdjobs.com, uh, then you uh, should, you can contact us and we'll um, connect the two of you in case there's still uh, need for sysadmins. Yep. Okay, next up is f uh, with an OS suggestion. So that goes, I'm recently come into possession of two older iBook G4s. Oh, wow. With working batteries. I've been... Uh, already ordering a stick of RAM for one of them, bringing me up to 1.5 gigabytes and an inexpensive 128 gigabyte SSD. Uh, if I stick with Linux, it seems my options are Debian, Old Stable, or Gen 2, but I became aware that the BSDs seem to have more ongoing support for these old machines. Any suggestions as to what might have the best support?
1: Um, for those particular bits of hardware, I don't know. Um I think the PowerPC port on FreeBSD is pretty good. I know uh, Justin Hibbets, who we talked about earlier, who's working on the Power Nine stuff, uh, still uses an old um, PowerBook. I think it was mm. called or something. I don't know. It's 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 like an iBook, and it's made it's it's an Apple, and it's from or it's made of like titanium, and causes some fun times at the airport. <laughs> um, Oh, yeah, it's, so yeah, I would say on that. try FreeBSD and failing that, I guess, NetBSD is probably your best bet for uh, slightly special hardware like that. Yeah,
0: so it's it, it's old hardware, but um, you could have... Yeah. Like, give uh, it a try. Boot from it if it supports where...
1: gigabytes of RAM, it's not that bad. Uh, so I would say the power... PC32 download of FreeBSD is probably your best starting point and failing that NetBSD.
0: Yeah, they should have support uh, at least for the basic uh, hardware. Okay, yeah, definitely um, interesting suggestion that we don't get every week. Uh, Next up is KevR, I guess, uh, with Raspberry Pi 2, FreeBSD, Router on a Stick Things. So that goes, hello, BSD chaps. So I'm reading this, so... Blah blah ZFS blah ZFS. Oh, hang on. Here's a surprise. It's not a ZFS question. Yeah, we get those from time to time. This is. um, It's we get any kind of questions, but in recent. Really is we get a lot of ZFS questions which of course is, is, is nice. Um, so that goes in my home lab I have recently been playing around with a layer 2 Cisco switch whilst trying to improve my feeble networking skills. I have configured several VLANs on the switch but now hold I uh, would like to route between them. Seeing as I like probably lots of Raspberry Pi owners looking to find a practical use for the said device I uh, have decided to use one as a router which I think is termed as router on a stick. I have configured one of the ports on the switch to trunk my VLANs, but here is my stumbling block. I don't know how to create sub-interfaces on the FreeBSD side. Uh, If indeed that is what they are, so-called in FreeBSD parlance, and would each interface need to be a member of a different VLAN? Presumably I'd also need to turn on packet forwarding and set up the routing between the networks too. I'm a little bit lost to FreeBSD networking, so if you could point me at some good documentation. Handbook, or better still, do some demo on your show. I would be very grateful.
1: Right. Uh, so, the m- in its most simple form, um, you can do ifconfig, uh, and then whatever the n- network interface name on the Raspberry Pi is. Like I think it's like, like uh, en zero or something, or u something zero because ue uh, zero because it's um, USB Ethernet. So ue zero dot and then the VLAN number, like 100, uh, create, and it will create a sub-interface uh, of UE0 uh, set up for VLAN 100. You can also do it uh, the other way, but you can do if ifconfig, uh, and then name it something like VLAN 12, create, and then VLAN dev UE0 VLAN, uh, and then the VLAN number 12, uh, and it will create it. And then... Uh, in rc.conf, you basically uh, do the list of cloned interfaces, is called, uh, to specify those for at boot. Uh, and then, yeah, if you just set gateway underscore enable equals yes in your rc.conf, it will automatically enable packet forwarding between interfaces, and uh, you'll be starting to route.
0: Yep, package flow. Yeah. Um...
1: You'll probably want to look into the routing chapter of the FreeBSD Handbook because uh, it's mm. possible you'll need to do a bit more than just passing the packets between the different uh, subnets. But uh, it's possible that's probably enough. And then you might want to set up a DHCP server and so on. Uh, but we have a couple of examples of how to do that uh, on the on the old tutorials on our website, although we need to get some new ones too. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, But it's a good way of uh, starting cheap um, with a little Mm -hmm. lab at home and learning the networking uh, basics and connecting everything. So, there's a a PS to that. Um, So, he he says he loves the show and been watching for ages now. Um, And in the PS, he goes, please don't take this the wrong way, but why doesn't FreeBSD invest more in marketing? I guess the foundation believes that the technology speaks for itself. No, not too much. Uh, But it only goes so far. For managers, free means cheap, and BSD sounds like some sort of infection that only dairy farmers need to worry about. Uh, the president of the Linux Foundation pays himself over 600K a year. That's uh, his prerogative. We don't do that. Uh, I'm sure the FreeBSD Foundation would like a nibble of that pie. Yeah, but
1: not to pay ourselves. So the first thing to realize is that while it's called the FreeBSD Foundation, it's actually a trade association, uh, not. Linux uh, Foundation. A not-for-profit foundation, yes. So the Linux Foundation is actually kind of more of a chamber of commerce type thing, whereas the FreeBSD Foundation is actually a not-for-profit, uh, and its books are completely open, and you can see how much everybody gets paid, and it's not very much. Um, yeah. For marketing, do you have an idea of how to effectively market FreeBSD and explain it to people? Which people should we explain it to? Uh, None Ellen of us and I know the answer to this right now. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah,
0: marketing has different forms. Yeah,
1: yeah, but the FreeBSD Foundation has hired a marketing director, so hopefully, yeah, for for a couple
0: help. of years now, and she's doing good work. She's. Um, Doing all the marketing material, for Mm. example, that you can find or the stickers or the Mm t-shirt that we had for the 25th anniversary. For
1: the 25th anniversary and organizing that. Uh, But if you have an idea of how we could effectively market FreeBSD to people, we'd love to hear it because we don't have any more ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Be it that you do an install workshop or show
0: your little Raspberry Pi um, that you finished installing with FreeBSD or any BSD uh, to people. And that way you grow from... Uh, the grassroots up, as, as people say. Yeah, so thanks for that feedback. And uh, next and last is uh, Vanya with an interview suggestion. Oh, yeah, that starts with, Hello, guys. Thank you for your great show. Thank you. Uh, I'm listening to it during my daily commute. I was glad to meet you in person at the EuroBSD Con in Paris. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I hope you go to the next one as well. Uh, I think that the time is right to have Chris Moore back on the show for an interview about Project Trident, just to explain what kind of fork they are doing, the goals they have, and the relationship with FreeBSD. I guess that just the name itself could suggest it is, in fact, a big fork.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, so my understanding <laughs> is that Chris won't be that involved in Trident. He's staying on the TrueOS side uh, and driving that towards you know, being a better operating system for the base of uh, FreeNAS and TrueNAS. Um, and it will be, I think Ken Moore is uh, one of the people that will continue on the Trident side. Uh, but, you know, their day job is all TrueOS. And Trident is basically forking off the part of it that doesn't make business sense to IX uh, and making that a community project. Yep. Uh, so that's certainly uh,
0: something we should do. And I guess Chris is available still and he still has his mic and all the equipment to, to do interviews. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, but I don't know if he has time. Uh, yeah. I
0: barely have time. <laughs> yeah, we'll, well, didn't also Michael Lucas suggest we should interview him again? So that yes, we'll put him uh, on the list. and
1: <laughs> We should definitely work that back out. To them.
0: Mm-hmm. Especially with a couple of shows uh, that we're pre-producing uh, for upcoming events and conferences we're going to. Then you have something uh to look out
1: for or to look forward to actually <laughs> <laughs> to look out for
0: um,
1: yeah, so I don't know yeah, you thanks. always have to look out for Michael Lucas, don't let him sneak up on you, <laughs> yeah with a butter knife and yeah <laughs> things
0: happen um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely send us people, or if you convince someone who just needs to connect to us during the interview, then perfect, or if you want to be interviewed yourself, then yes. We can arrange that. We accept volunteers. <laughs> We're the last ones who won't let people on the show. And um, yeah, so I guess that's covered uh, this week's episode's feedback. Thank you for watching. Um, safe driving if you're listening this uh, to this on your commute. And if you have anything found in the BSD area that we should cover in upcoming episodes, then send it to feedback at bsdnow.tv. And who knows, you might recognize that on the next episode.
1: Yes. Thank you and see you next week.